0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast, and we're going to have a look at today's gospel reading for Mass. It's a fairly long one today, so we're going to jump straight into it. It's Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. When Jesus had crossed in the boat to the other side, a large crowd followed round him, and he stayed by the lakeside. Then one of the synagogue officials came up, Jairus by name, And seeing him, fell at his feet and pleaded with him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is desperately sick. Do come and lay your hands on her to make her feel better and save her life. Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed him. They were pressing all round him. Now there was a woman who had suffered from a hemorrhage for twelve years. After long and painful treatment under various doctors, She spent all she had without being any the better for it. In fact, she was getting worse. She had heard about Jesus and she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his cloak. If I can touch even his clothes, she had told herself, I shall be well again. And the source of the bleeding dried up instantly and she felt in herself that she was cured of her complaint. Immediately aware that power had gone out from him, Jesus turned round in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You see how the crowd is pressing round you, and yet you say, Who touched me? But he continued to look all round to see who had done it. Then the woman came forward, frightened and trembling, because she knew what had happened to her. And she fell at his feet and told him the whole truth. My daughter, he said, your faith has restored you to health. Go in peace and be free from your complaint. While he was still speaking, some people arrived from the house of the synagogue official to say, Your daughter is dead. Why put the master to any further trouble? But Jesus had overheard this remark of theirs, and he said to the official, Do not be afraid, only have faith. And he allowed no one to go with him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. So they came to the official's house, and Jesus noticed all the commotion, with people weeping and wailing unrestrainedly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and crying? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. So he turned them all out, and, taking with him the child's father and mother and his own companions, he went into the place where the child lay. And taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, I tell you to get up. The little girl got up at once and began to walk about, for she was twelve years old. At this they were overcome with astonishment, and he ordered them strictly not to tell anyone about it, and told them to give her something to eat. So there's a lot going on in this passage here that we're looking at today. You've probably noticed uh, that this is another example of a Mark and the sandwich, as scholars call it, where he starts a story, then he interrupts it with a second story, and then he resumes telling the first story again. And Mark does that because he's roughly chronological. He's telling us the order in which these things actually happened. Whereas perhaps the other gospel writers, like Matthew and John might not interrupt a story. They would probably keep telling the entire story even if there was interruptions in how it actually happened because they want to present it in a thematic way. Mark just tells it like it is. This happened and then Jesus was interrupted and then Jesus went back to what he was doing. So verse 21 is the start here. It said, Jesus crossed in the boat to the other side. So remember, yesterday he was in this territory of the Gadarenes In the Gentile area but they told him to go away so he's got back into his boat and he's gone back over to the western shore of the Sea of Galilee so he's back in the Capernaum area where he started the crowds gather around him here at the lakeside and he's probably teaching them and then in verse 22 one of the synagogue officials appears or another translation says ruler of the synagogue now this is not a priest so a synagogue official was a prominent layman whose job it was to oversee the synagogue's activities and finances. So, um, perhaps an equivalent today might be the president or the treasurer of the parish pastoral council. Uh, That's a bit of a rough analogy, but he's sort of the administrative leader of one of the local synagogues. Now, he was probably present earlier on in the Gospel of Mark when... Jesus had been preaching in the synagogues. He's probably seen Jesus do that in his own synagogue. So he knows who Jesus is. Seeing him, he fell at Jesus' feet. So Jairus starts to plead with Jesus here. He says, my little daughter is desperately sick. That's our translation. A more literal translation is at the point of death. So this girl is about to die, which sadly was quite common in that culture. A lot of diseases couldn't be cured that we now have cures for. So people did die young sometimes. He said, he keeps going. He says to Jesus, come and lay your hands on her to make her better and save her life. So Jairus knows that Jesus has laid hands on other people and he wants Jesus to now do it for his daughter. That makes sense. So Jesus agrees to do this and they set off for the house. We don't know what town it is, but probably Capernaum. So they set off to find his actual house. A large crowd followed Jesus. They were pressing all around him. So often in pictures, you might see it as like a meek and mild crowd listening quietly and humbly to Jesus. But here we have a crowd that's jostling and, uh, and busy and pushing against Jesus as he goes to the house. They're desperate to touch Jesus. Now the scene shifts. So Mark gives us the second part of his sandwich here he interrupts the story of Jairus' daughter. Verse 25, Now there was a woman who had suffered from a hemorrhage for 12 years. So what the Greek there says is she suffered from a flow of blood. Some scholars, it's not entirely clear, but some scholars think it's likely that because the disease is not described explicitly, that Mark is just trying to be modest. Um, And really what this is is, some sort of a menstrual cycle issue. Uh, we know that chronic bleeding results in weakness and fatigue, so she's probably exhausted. And think about all the ritual components here. So someone who's bleeding constantly, according to the Jewish law of Moses, she's unclean constantly. So anything she touches becomes unclean. Anything she sits on becomes unclean. Everyone else has to avoid contact with her or else they would become unclean as well and that's all in Leviticus 15 so this woman is an outcast in society she's forbidden from worshipping in the temple which would be um, incredibly frustrating and sad for a Jewish person and it's possible that she also couldn't be physically with her husband as well depending on her condition she we learn here that she's tried numerous doctors none of them have been able to help in fact she's just getting worse So she's getting desperate. This woman has had the condition for 12 years. She's been ritually unclean and exhausted and tired, and she's getting worse and worse. She spent all her money on doctors. So not only is she an outcast, she's probably poor as well. Verse 27, she had heard about Jesus. So the word has traveled, and she's heard about his power to heal simply by touching him. She's probably heard... Things like Jesus lays hands on people and they're healed. That's probably what she's heard. So she has a plan. She comes up behind him in the crowd. She's making a plan here of how she's going to touch Jesus, and she says to herself in verse 27, "If I can touch even his clothes, I shall be well again." Now she's probably just guessing. If that's you know, she's probably thinking, uh, "If I touch his clothes, then I'll get better." That's probably just a guess on her part because as far as we know this hasn't happened to anyone else yet it turns out that she's right though that that will actually heal her so she touches him and there's a really beautiful picture of this um this scene where the woman just touches the hem of his garment and the the picture the artistic picture is just of um the the finger reaching out and touching Jesus legs you can't see anyone's face in the picture and it's there's a really big picture of this at Saint Mary of Magdala's church in Magdala so they've found uh, Magdalene and there's this whole church dedicated to women and this is in Israel so if you go there there's a chamber down the bottom of the church I've been there and there's this amazing huge wall-length picture of this woman touching Jesus and it's considered to be a room of healing So anyway, if you can Google that picture, it's quite a beautiful one of the woman touching Jesus' cloak. So uh, immediately, sorry, verse 29, the source of her bleeding dried up instantly, and she felt that she was cured of her complaint. Now, this is one of the key verses that helps us understand the Catholic teaching on relics. So the Catholic teaching is basically that objects which belong to holy people or healers Can themselves end up imparting healing power this is one of the key verses so here we have a woman touching Jesus cloak not Jesus himself but she still gets healed and then later in the book of Acts uh, there's places where Peter's handkerchief is able to heal people and then even in the Old Testament uh, falling on the bones of the prophet Elisha causes someone to be healed as well so this is one of those key verses about relics verse 30 so she's healed but then immediately aware that power had gone out of him. So, Jesus notices that power has gone out of him. Kind of strange, isn't it? So, Jesus sort of feels some power leave him, even though he didn't consent to it. So, this implies that power can leave Jesus without his consent, at least sometimes. So, what's the formula for healing here? I think we have to say something like this. A person's genuine faith plus contact with Jesus brings about healing, even if Jesus doesn't initiate the contact, at least during Jesus' ministry anyway. He says, he looks around to the crowd, and Jesus says, who touched my clothes? So at this point, Jesus is not exercising his mind-reading powers. If he wanted to, he probably could switch them on, as we've seen him do earlier in Mark, and work out who it was, but he wants the person to come forward voluntarily. He wants the person to not slip away with just physical healing. He wants this person who's just been healed to encounter Jesus personally. His disciples are surprised by Jesus' question, and they basically say, everyone's touching you, Jesus. What do you mean, who touched me? So the apostles are pretty perplexed, and as they are throughout a lot of the Gospel of Mark, they still have a lot to learn. Verse 32, the woman came forth frightened and trembling. So she's probably worried that Jesus is going to be angry with her because she's just taken some of his power. And also she's broken the rules of ritual impurity. Impurity. She touched him and she's not supposed to. And so she's probably quite frightened about what Jesus is going to say. But in verse 34, Jesus lovingly says, My daughter, so that's a term of affection and intimacy. Your faith has made you well. So this tells us what was the key ingredient in the woman's healing. It was her faith. The woman's faith made her well. So presumably, this tells us that insufficient faith, if someone with not enough faith tried to touch Jesus, they wouldn't be healed. For example, a lot of the crowd at the moment are jostling against Jesus, presumably people there wanting healing, but probably none of them were healed because they didn't have the genuine faith that this woman had. And the word here for made you well can also mean saved. So you could translate this verse, your faith has saved you. And Jesus often says things like this to people who are seeking healing. He wants to make sure the physical and the spiritual healing happen at the same time. He says to the woman, go in peace and be free of your complaint. So Jesus here basically says he's okay with what's happened. He's not angry. At the woman and he gives her the traditional Jewish peace wishing it's quite common for Jews to say go in peace and that's what we say at the end of mass as well and she's now think about it. she's had this condition for 12 years she's now healed physically and now she can go back to participating in the life of the temple and she's able to go in contact with people again so she's been restored to the community it's an incre- incredible transformation for this woman Verse 35, we go back to the incident with Jairus's daughter. So it's the last part of the Mark and the Sandwich. He's just here with the woman. And now some people arrive from the ruler's house, from Jairus' house. So they're going to deliver the bad news to Jairus. Your daughter is dead. Why put your master to any further trouble? So they believe she's dead. There's no need for Jesus to come anymore. But verse 36, Jesus overhears What his servants have said to Jairus and he says to Jairus, do not be afraid, only have faith. So Jesus here implies that it's not over and that he's going to fix the problem. Whether Jairus understood that or believed it is not clear. So Jesus now um, makes a plan of attack. He allows no one to follow him. So he sends the crowd away at this point. Why? Well, could be two reasons. Firstly because not everyone can fit into this house that he's going to. Could also be that he wants some peace and quiet in order to be able to do the miracle. But most importantly, in the context of Mark's gospel, in order for a miracle like this, particularly significant miracle like a raising from the dead, Jesus tells us that he can't do that if the people in the area do not have faith. So it's possible that Jesus perceives the crowd does not have enough faith, and that if he tries to do the miracle with the crowd around, it's not going to work. So he sends the crowd away, and he takes with him, though, Peter and James and John. So these three apostles are Jesus' inner circle, and it appears that these three, although they make mistakes, they seem to understand things a little quicker or a little easier than the other apostles'. And they're the first three, in fact, three of the first four who are willing to step out in faith for the kingdom. They're the first three of the first four apostles to be called. So they arrive at the house of Jairus and they go inside and people are weeping and wailing loudly. Now, that might seem a bit, maybe a bit over the top, but in that culture, uh, the way that people mourned the loss of loved ones, was through loud groans and wailing. That was actually the accepted, expected way of reacting. There might even be hired mourners here. If someone's died, the family would often hire professional mourners so that the community knows this house is mourning. So everyone's weeping and wailing. And uh, Jesus says, the child is dead. Sorry, the child is not dead, But asleep now there's two possible meanings here the child is not dead but asleep the first option would be that actually the child is not dead she's fallen into a coma of some sort although the relatives don't realize that Jesus knows that she's not dead and that she's just in a coma um, but the family doesn't know that but I think it's reasonable it depends if you think it's reasonable for the family to know whether she's dead or not The more traditional explanation, and most scholars would say, is that the girl really is dead. So when Jesus says the child is not dead, he really means uh, she's not dead permanently. She's just sleeping. And sleeping is a common Jewish metaphor to describe uh, death, particularly in relation to the afterlife. So in the Jewish or Christian view, you could say in a sense... When people's bodies die, they fall asleep in the hope of the resurrection. But in, if that's the case, if the girl really is dead, uh, it seems unreasonable for Jesus to say to the um, to the mourners, "Why are you mourning? The child is not dead." Because there's no way that the uh, that relatives could have known that Jesus was going to raise her again. There's that's not. Yeah, so it depends on how you interpret Jesus' words here. As I said, the traditional explanation is that she's dead, but that Jesus just wants to make a point that she's not permanently dead. But it's often good to throw out there some rival scholarly theories, just so you know what um, people are thinking about this verse, where it's not entirely clear. Verse 40, they laughed at him. So that's their reaction. They don't believe the little girl's going to rise again, so that probably shows a lack of faith. And they think Jesus is a bit crazy. So he turns them all out. Jesus doesn't want the crowd or the relatives to be around while he's performing the miracle. And he probably knows that their unbelief is going to hinder the miracle. So he takes with him the child's mother and father, so Jairus and his wife. Why does he take in the mother and the father? Presumably they, well, maybe they have more faith than the rest of the relatives because remember Jairus did come to Jesus and believe that Jesus could heal her. And it's also for practical reasons, because the girl's about to wake up and Jesus wants the mother and the father to be in the room when the girl wakes up. Verse 41, Jesus takes the girl by the hand. So once again, Mark is highlighting the power of Jesus' physical touch. And he says to her, Talitha cum," which means little girl, get up. So Mark actually includes here the Aramaic phrase, Jesus spoke Aramaic, Talitha kum, why does Mark sort of in this case usually he just translates the entire thing for us into Greek, but here he gives us the original Aramaic and then the Greek translation? Probably for dramatic emphasis, the original words in Mark's mind were so important and they left had left such an impact on the original hearers that Mark wants to include the original Aramaic here so that those in his audience who do speak Aramaic can feel Jesus' emphasis here and can hear the original words that Jesus spoke. Verse 42, the girl got up at once and walked. So the girl is perfectly fine straight away. And the word that's used here for arise or got up is egeiro in Greek. And that's actually the same word that's later used for Jesus' resurrection. And then Mark says, she got up at once and walked for she was 12 years old. So it implies that the reason she gets healed so quickly is because she's young. Now, we learn here that she's 12 years old. Where else have we heard the number 12 in this passage today? Hopefully you uh, recognize that the woman with the issue of blood has had the issue for 12 years. So there could be some sort of connection here between the 12 years that the woman had the condition and the 12 years old that the girl is. There probably is, although it's not entirely clear what the connection is. Uh, and some scholars have written about it, but no one's really sure. They were overcome with astonishment. This is Jesus' most amazing miracle yet. He's literally just caused someone to rise again from the dead. And in the Jewish view, the only person who can do that is God. And the people there would have known that only God can raise the dead. So it probably means, that as a result, they would now have faith in Jesus. However, verse 43, Jesus ordered them strictly not to let anyone know about it. So Jesus wants to ensure that the only people who witness the miracle know about it. No one else. He doesn't want word to get around that he can raise the dead at this stage. Because if he does, his ministry is gonna to get too chaotic too quickly, everyone's gonna crowd around, everyone's gonna want him to uh, to raise again every dead person. They might recognize that he's the Messiah too quickly and try to take him as a national king. All of those things could happen if word gets around too quickly. So Jesus says, please don't share what has happened today. And then he tells his her, the girl's parents, Jairus and his wife, to give her something to eat. Presumably, that's to help restore the girl's energy. Jesus knows that she's going to need energy in order to get back to full health, possibly. So that's the end of the passage. And I just want to read this little comment from the Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture, which summarizes this section really well. We've just seen a whole lot of Jesus' miracles over the last few days. And here's how uh, the Catholic Commentary on Sacred Scripture summarizes Mark chapter 5. The raising of Jairus' daughter is the climax of the series of miracles encountered in this section of Mark, Mark chapter 4 and 5. Each one increasingly reveals Jesus' power to overcome death. He has rescued his disciples from near certain death in the storm on the lake, delivered a man whose existence was a living death among the tombs, restored to health a woman whose life was draining away, and raised a dead girl to life. In each case, the way to experience Jesus' saving power is to reject fear and yield to faith, a deeply personal faith that comes into living contact with him. Mark is preparing his readers to grasp the magnitude of Jesus' ultimate conquest of death in his resurrection, the prelude to the resurrection of all believers to eternal life. Now, how does this passage inform Catholic teaching, well, let's turn to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. There's a few short paragraphs we'll have a look at here which explicitly reference the story of Jairus and also the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Paragraph 548 in the section about the Kingdom of God says, The signs worked by Jesus attest that the Father has sent him. They invite belief in him. To those who turn to him in faith, he grants what they ask. So miracles... Strengthen faith in the one who does his father's works, they bear witness that he is the Son of God. Paragraph 2616 in the section about how Jesus hears our prayer says, Prayer to Jesus is answered by him already during his ministry through signs that anticipate the power of his death and resurrection. Jesus hears the prayer of faith expressed in words from the leper. Jairus, the Canaanite woman, and the good thief, or in silence, the bearers of the paralytic, the woman with the hemorrhage who touches his clothes, the tears and ointment of the sinful woman. So you'll hear there in that paragraph 2616, it references both Jairus and also the woman with the hemorrhage. And then lastly, in paragraph 994, which is in the section about Jesus' resurrection. It says it is Jesus himself who on the last day will raise up those who have believed in him, who have eaten his body and drunk his blood. Already now in this present life, he gives us a sign and pledge of this by restoring some of the dead to life, announcing thereby his own resurrection, though it was to be of another order. So you'll hear there the reference to Jesus restoring some people to life, and that would include Jairus' daughter. Uh, And all of that prefigures Jesus' own resurrection. So, a bit of a longer podcast today, but there's a lot in this Mark and Sandwich in Mark chapter 5. Thanks for listening. Hope you learned something new.